This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Well, let's get started. We are continuing our series here, and uh, we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. Uh, but let's start with prayer before we get going and ready our hearts, ready our minds as uh, we get into the Word of God. Father, we are here for you, worshiping you, God, and uh, as a church family, it's awesome to be able to have this privilege, this opportunity. Um, God, we are uh, so thankful for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, and uh, God, he uh, made it possible for us to be with you forever uh, for what he did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray uh, for each one of us in here uh, to push out any distraction, God, may you push those out that, that our minds wouldn't be racked on what we have going on the rest of the day or what we have coming up during the week, but just to simply focus on you, uh, speak to uh, our hearts and minds, God, ready them now uh, to hear from you and what it is you want us to do to, to challenge us, to equip us. I pray that we can uh, move closer and closer to being more Christ-like that uh, there will be a, a change in us so that we can uh, help change this world and the people around us, Lord, through your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. My name is Ramon. I'm a partner here at Nagshead Church, for those of you who don't know me. Um, Rick gave me the opportunity to preach today, which is awesome. I love to be able to use my spiritual gifts to encourage people. Uh, one of the things that I love to do is encourage so that's why I'm up here, is to uh, encourage you guys, hopefully, and, uh, and to be able to teach the Word of God, to uh, teach it in such a way that it, it uh, just fuels you to go and, uh, and do what God has called you to do. So I'm excited about it. Let's, let's get right into it. Let's go into uh, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 13, which contains the, the whole story there of Jesus going through the wilderness. All right, starting there in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him up to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels' orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So reading through this story, I had to uh, ask myself several questions, and, and you might be asking yourself probably similar questions about it. 
I read it over and over again in different versions, different translations to kind of help me uh, as I was preparing this message. And I had to ask myself, why did God include this story in his word? What, what is the purpose of this story here? Why did Jesus have to be tempted? Why did he have to go through this? And how does this affect us? What does this mean for us as Christians that God would include this in his word? How is this going to help us? Now, I believe this story has uh, a, a really good blueprint on how to handle temptation as it comes our way. We can see that. We can see how Jesus dealt with it. But I also know that it has a much deeper meaning as it relates to us, what it, how it concerns us and uh, what we do in our daily life. This story isn't so much about the testing of Jesus, but the grace of God who allowed his son to be tested for our benefit. So what do I mean by this? Well, let's look at what Jesus had to go through. See how uh, his time in the wilderness was really for us. There are three types of temptation, three times that he's tempted as well. All right? Three times and three different types. The lust of the flesh temptation, and we have the lust of the eye temptation, and the pride of life. All three of those show up here. So right from the get-go, before we even get into the first temptation, we, got, we need to clarify some stuff. So we look at this word now. When I was reading it and I read that verse where Jesus is led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, I thought, that seems a little off to me. You know, and I'm thinking the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, when Jesus was teaching us to pray. So I, so I said, well, I need to look at this how they were hearing it, or they were seeing it. This is, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, originally written in Greek. So I looked up the word tempted, and I found out, which, by the way, the Greek word is pyrazo. Everybody say that, pyrazo. One more time, pyrazo. All right, a little bit of Greek there for you guys. You're good to go. Now you speak a little bit of another language. So the word had a double meaning. And that's pretty common with Greek. So it had a double meaning, and it was to test or prove or to solicit for evil. Now, obviously, I was looking at this, and I was thinking, all right, well, God's not going to solicit Jesus for evil because that is out of the character of God. Uh, God does not tempt anyone, or, nor does he lead them into to doing evil. But Jesus was led by, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested, but it was the devil who would lure him to solicit him for evil. You guys understand? Now, so Jesus had to go through both. Sometimes we, in life, we'll go through those same type of things. We'll, be, we'll, we'll go through a time of testing and a time of being tempted. You know, and Jesus is dealing with both of them here at the same time as he's uh, you know, being led in by his father. And then uh, the devil comes along and he's like, well, I'm going to try to sidetrack Jesus here. So two types of trials, the ones that God leads us into or allows in our life so that our faith may be complete, and those that we bring on ourselves by our sinful choices. So what does this all mean? What do I mean by, by all this? Well, let's look at the scripture. Let's see what God has to say about trials and, and about being tempted, and how can we tell, and what do we know what we're going through. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, let's look at that. And this says, These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. These trials will show your faith is genuine. 
talking about being tested here. And notice that I keep saying tested because that's what we're going through here. It's a testing, these trials. If, if you're going through something because of your sinful choices, first of all, your faith isn't going to be very genuine because you're being selfish. You're, you're living out your own desires that you're doing. But if you're going through a trial that's going to test the genuineness of your faith, it's probably because God is trying to teach you something. He's trying to say, trust me. I know this is rough, but trust me in this. I'm going to lead you through this. And then it says, so when our faith remains strong through these trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor to, to God. Man, to, to Jesus. That's awesome right there, that even though we're, gonna, we're suffering and going through these different trials, that we, we probably, for the most part, don't understand why it's happening. Uh, it's for the glory of God. It's for Jesus that we're going through this. And, that, and it even involves a, even a little bit more. It has more to it, and we're, we're going to get to that. Let's go to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 and then jump to uh, 13 through 15. And here James, he's, he's trying to encourage the church. The church is being persecuted at this time. And he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it a great joy. I know you guys have gone through many trials in your life, and I don't know about you, but a lot of the times I don't wake up during those trials that I'm going through and say, awesome God, I am so glad I'm getting ready to go through this again. Another day of this trial. You know, I'm so joyous right now that I'm going through this trial. But what is, what is, uh, what is God telling us here? What is scripture telling us here? It's, it's, uh, it's really a big challenge because we don't think that way because we're, we're human. James says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience these various trials. Our faith is being tested, and it needs to be tested so that we can learn to endure, so that we can be lacking nothing, he says, to be mature. So God wants us to be mature. God wants us to trust in him more and more every day. But a lot of times is, how can we trust God more if we're not going through situations in life where we have to depend on God? I mean, for, for the most part, you can, you know, if, you, if you're, you come to church, yeah, that's awesome. You know, you got your once a week hour, and you're, you're learning about the Lord, and, and learning about faith, and then you go, maybe you go to a small group or a connection group. That's awesome. But, man, really living out what's, what's going on in your life, and really turning to the Lord to trust in Him and what's going on, so that you can be mature and complete. It says, lacking nothing. It's a real big challenge for me. If God wants you to have more faith in him, to trust him completely, doesn't it make sense that we should go through trials so that we can learn to trust him more? Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, wasn't, wasn't Abraham tested in his faith? God said, sacrifice your only son. And God, praise God, he stopped him right at the very end. But that was a test for Abraham. That was a test for his faith. Last week we talked about Jericho and the Israelites coming in and, and taking over Jericho um, through the leadership of Joshua. That took a lot of faith. That was a big test for them to say, okay, God, we're going to march around a wall for seven days. I mean, the, the people in Jericho must think we're nuts because we're not doing anything. We're walking around in a circle. And then you want us to do what? You want us to shout and blow a trumpet and the walls are going to fall down? I mean, they really had a 
put their faith in God in that moment, didn't they? They had to trust God at that moment to say, you got it. I trust you. Uh, the, what, the, this thing that we're going through, I'm going to trust you in this. So yeah, we're going to be tested. Verse 13 says, no one under, undergoing a trial should say, am I being tempted by God? For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And whenever sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Right there, God doesn't tempt us. All right? I love what it says. It says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by their own evil desires. A lot of the times we give too much credit to, to Satan and the devil, uh, Satan and his demons. We say, well, you know, uh, I mean, I gotta, I'm being spiritually attacked by Satan. Um, which, you know, Satan, I think Satan's got bigger fish to fry than you and me, like, like world leaders, uh, because he can't be everywhere at once. He's just an angel. Uh, but we give too much credit to uh, demon. Not, not saying that spiritual warfare isn't a real thing. We read that in Scripture. Yes, that does happen. But a lot of the times it's because of us. We go through, we make our own trials. We make our own path in the wilderness because we have decided to choose our, sinful, our, our, our choice there to saying, I'm going to do it on my own. And this is my sinful choice. And so we bring on that suffering on ourselves sometimes. 1 Peter 4.12, we're going to look at that now. This is a great verse to memorize, and we're going to, we're going to read on a few verses there as well. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. This is something that I urge you to do always. This verse is talking about, it's, it's asking almost the question of, God, why is this happening to me? And a good habit to get into is to examine yourself on a daily basis. God wants you to examine yourself on a daily basis. Why? So that you can be able to tell whether you're being tested or it's because of your own selfish desire that you are going through a time of trial, maybe suffering. Uh, it's to examine yourself daily. If you, if you can sit there before God and you've got something going on in your life right now, and maybe, maybe you are going through something in your life right now, and you're saying, God, is there something that I'm doing? Am I in some kind of sin that I'm refusing to let go of? Is there a choice that I've made, maybe earlier in the week or something, or that day? Is there something going on in my life that uh, I have not given over to you? Then chances are, it's you. You know, it's not, it's not the demons. It's not God, because God's not going to lead you to, to do that sin. But, Peter says, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. So if you, if you have sat down with God and, and you're like, um, well, God, I'm not, I'm not, I can't think of anything wrong that I've done, and God's not bringing anything to mind to you, then chances are you're being tested. You're being tested. And Peter says, don't be surprised, because guess what? You're a, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're going to be tested. You know why? Because God desires your heart. He desires you. He desires to get closer to you. He wants you to be more Christ-like, and so he's going to stretch you. He's going he's gonna to want to do those things. He's going to make things uh, allow to, to happen in your life so that you can depend on him more and more and more. 15, verse 15 says, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. And that right there he's talking about, look, if you're going to suffer, don't let it be suffer. Don't suffer because of these things. These are sins 
obviously, that Peter has listed off. If you're suffering, uh, check yourself and make sure that you're not dealing with some type of sin in your life. That's exactly what I was talking about. We're talking about testing and tempting here. But Peter also says there's no shame for suffering for being a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through this trial that's a surprise to you, you don't know what, what's happening in your life. God, why is this happening to me? I, 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 I know that I'm not going through something uh, because of my sinful choice. There's no shame in that because it's making you more Christ-like. And that, after all, that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to worship him, to be more like Jesus, and to go out and uh, change the world. We see that if the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he was to be tested, and Jesus willingly went, then this was ordained by God. God sent him. We, this was God's plan all along, wasn't it? Jesus didn't put up an argument about it. He didn't say, uh, no thanks, Dad. Uh, there's no food out there. By the way, Dad, I'm not going to go do that. But Jesus went. He willingly went. This was ordained by God. Jesus obeyed his dad and did what he was led to do. So if God led his own son to be tested so that his trust and obedience would increase, doesn't it make sense that God would also lead us into uncomfortable situations and trials that will stretch our faith? Does that make sense to you guys? Yes? Is it making sense now that, that this is something that has to happen? Because Jesus was being morally, he's be, he was being tested to see if he was morally fit to do what he was going to do for us. And praise God, he got through all that. But the crazy part about it was that Jesus was unable to sin because of his perfection. He was unable to sin, but he went through that feeling of being tempted so that he could relate to us. Shouldn't we who are lower than Jesus go through trials so that our faith may be perfected? It seems like, a, like something that I don't want to happen. You know, I don't want to go through trials. I don't want to go through uh, something that's going to, you know, really uh, just make me sad or, or, or whatever, it's gonna, whatever the result is going to be. But do I want to be more Christ-like or not? You know, do I want to sit around and never get closer to God, or do I want to get closer to God? And sometimes these are the ways that God can build us up to be able to trust him more and more. Not only this, but our trials lead us to building up the church by uh, encouraging those who are going through what we have already endured. So your trials, this is like a byproduct of you going through some of these trials. You have endured, you've had gone through something, and now God says, use this. Don't just sit on it. Use this. If there's somebody that you know that they, they might be at the beginning of this trial, they're starting off with something in life that's really uh, just messing it up and, and you have already gone through this, then go and reach out to them. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here for, right? We're here to encourage one another. We're here to build each other up. We're here to love on one another. We're here to carry each other's burdens. But we can't do that if we're not actually willing to be Christ-like and go to that person and say, I'm here to help you. I know what you're going through. Let me, let me talk with you. Let me take you out to lunch. Let's, let's get a, a smile at them. Say something to them so that they know that I'm praying for you. I know when uh, my family just recently went through a, a trial. My dad passed away at the end of June. Uh, he came to know the Lord right at the end of his life. Praise God. But man, that was a, that was a, a real trial for us um, to just being able to to know that God was in control 
And uh, he, he showed us so much grace. And, and you, church, um, I'll thank you, just like the first gathering. Thank you for, for praying for us. Thank you for, uh, for just sending us uh, text messages and Facebook messages and just encouraging us and uh, ma- making uh, us food. We had so much food, it was awesome. We, we ate like kings. Um, and for landscaping, uh, Charlie Neiman and his crew came out and landscaped my mom's house, which was just a blessing, um, which was my dad's, one of my dad's hobbies. He loved to uh, go out and garden. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we thank you guys for that. That's not, that's not part of my message, but I just wanted to say thank you. I figured I had this opportunity to talk to all of you guys at once. Thank you guys. But that, I mean, that, that was encouraging for me. You know, and I had a lot of people who say, look, my dad died. If you want to talk to me, um, I can. I can help you with that. I've gone through that. I would have been even more shocked if the church didn't do anything at all. No message, no help, no, uh, can I bring you all kinds of food? Can I talk to you about your dad? That would have been more shocking to me if the church didn't do that. But, uh, you know, praise God for, for Nags Head Church and, and your, your love for, for us and, and my family. All right, let me get back to this. Thank you. Notice that, uh, that, that uh, temptation usually happens when we are at our weakest. Jesus was hungry. Satan came and he said, do something about it. Although we can say that looking at this temptation, that's not such a bad, not such a bad thing, right? He's just going to take some, uh, some stone and turn it into bread. That doesn't seem like a sin to me, right? I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's not really a sin if, if Jesus were to do that. But here Jesus chooses not to break his fast. Now remember at the beginning it says that Jesus was coming to the end of his fast. His fast had not ended yet because God is the one who ended the fast when he came at the very end and the angels came and served him. Um, but he was coming towards the end of his fast. Uh, so Jesus said, I'm not, you know, not going to do that. That's not the will of God. Uh, and he quoted scripture. He, he fought back Satan with scripture. He says, man must not live on bread alone. And he was quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3, which says, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. Not only this, but uh, Satan was challenging Jesus' identity. Another thing to pay attention to is, he said, if you are the Son of God, is what he said to him. If you are the Son of God, and Satan knows who Jesus is, it's no surprise. He, he might as well be saying, since you are the Son of God, can't you do this? Don't you have the power to feed yourself? Why are you allowing yourself to go through this? You know, you're, you're the son of God. Do something about it. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? Sometimes for us, our identity gets tested. Our identity gets attacked. We're tempted to feel like when we're going through something, God, where are you? Maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe, uh, maybe you're struggling with your faith in some area in your life. And that's an attack on, on you, on your identity. You're, you're a Christ follower. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you believe what he did for you on the cross, you're a, you're a believer in Jesus. You belong to God. You can never be taken away. And a lot of the times when stuff happens in life, we sure do start questioning who we are, don't we, in Christ. And Satan is doing it right here. He's trying to He's attacking Jesus, and he will attack us as well when it comes to that. But if we want to be able to handle ourselves against temptation, we need to know the Word of God. We need to know who Jesus is in our life. Hebrews 4.12, another verse you need to memorize, okay? It says, For the Word of God is living and active and stronger than any double-edged sword, 
piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit, joint from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. This is living and active, y'all. This isn't some book that you just buy because you feel convicted that you need to buy, and then you leave it on your shelf, you leave it on your coffee table, and it just collects dust. This is what God gave us to, to, uh, to be able to find out His will for our life, to be able to find out, well, God, what do you expect of me? Uh, to find out, all right, what did Jesus do for me? What does God expect out of me? That's what, that's what this is for. It's our roadmap. It's our GPS. That is why we have that. It's able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. The world will always tell you, trust your heart, follow your heart. It'll never, get, it'll never steer you wrong. Man, that's the biggest lie ever right there. Hitler followed his heart, and he massacred millions, didn't he? That was the right thing in his heart to do, was to get rid of the Jews. So following your heart, that's a bad idea. But what, you, what do you need to do with it? You judge it by what God says. Taking taking this and checking with, all right, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm desiring. God, is this the right thing? Well, let me check it with what you say and see if it matches up. We must know the Word of God so that we are not deceived. Now, let me ask you some questions that go along with this. And this this is convicting for me, too, when I was going through this. How can we truly worship our Lord when we know nothing about Him because we haven't spent time in His Word? How can we obey his commands when we don't know what those commands are? How can we fight when we go into battle with nothing but ourselves, which is a one-sided fight? And guess who loses? We do, because you're not prepared. You You haven't taken up the tools that God has given you. We cannot do this on our own. It's why we have his Holy Spirit. We have the Bible, the sword, as Scripture calls it, to help us fight. Second temptation that Jesus deals with is the lust of the eyes. And Satan takes him to this mountaintop, and he says, Look, I have all these kingdoms here for you. I can give them to you, by the way. I can give you the authority. I can give you all these kingdoms. I have the ability to do that. All you have to do is bow and worship me, is what Satan says. And I kind of read this part of of this story, and I kind of laughed a little bit to myself, because I'm like, well... I'm pretty sure Satan knows that he's not going to win. But, and, he's, and he's trying to entice Jesus with something that he's going to have anyways. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to be ruler of everything anyways. The new earth, the new heavens, all the kingdoms of the world, they're going to be his anyways. And then Satan says that he can give it to whoever he wants, which is just a straight-out lie. He can give it to whoever he wants, but what do we expect from the father of lies? Satan claiming that, I can, I can do what I want with these kingdoms. I can give them to you. Only God has the authority to do what Satan is claiming here, by the way. Look at the craftiness of Satan. He's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. He is telling him, look, you want to be ruler now? You don't have to go to the cross. You can, you can skip that. You don't have to suffer, Jesus. You don't have to get nailed to the cross and and suffer the sins of the world. I can give you the kingdoms now with no pain. Satan knows that if Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the sins of the world, then he loses. So, of course, he's going to try and sidetrack them. Many times in our life, we take shortcuts to get something that we desire because we want it and we want it now. That is the temptation of the lust of the eyes. We see something. We want it. We want to strive to get something 
And a lot of the times in life, we think, well, that's not such a bad thing. I want to better myself. Who wants, you, who wants to better themselves? You can raise your hand up high. It's all right. You don't have to be ashamed. We all want to, we all want to better ourselves. But here are the questions that sometimes we forget to ask, this desire that we have. God, is this your desire for me? God, is this part of your will for my life? We forget that because we're too caught up on, we got tunnel vision and we're looking at, that's what I want right there. I'm going to go for it. And we don't even say, God, is that what you want for me? Is this going to draw me closer to you or is it going to draw me away from you? Watch out for those shortcuts. Jesus could have bowed to Satan and worshipped him and received all the kingdoms of the world without having to suffer, but that was not the will of God. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to his Father. And he quotes, he quotes Scripture. Again, he's fighting Satan with Scripture. One more time, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So you see, again, know the Word of God. Memorize it. It's not enough, it's not enough just to pick this up and read it. Uh, but really apply it by memorizing it and doing what it says. I mean, anybody can read the Bible, you know. And really, a lot of people can memorize the Bible, but doing what it says is a whole different story. Let's look at the, uh, how Jesus said, on, or how Satan left out a phrase on this temptation. He didn't say this time, if you are the Son of God, did he? He just straight up said, I'm going to take you to this mountain and show you all his kingdoms. He didn't say, if you are the Son of God. Why? Because Satan is trying to, he's telling Jesus, you bow to me. Why do you think Satan was kicked out of heaven? He was trying to be like God. He's trying to be God. He was trying to have it all to himself. So obviously he's asking Jesus to bow to him. Final temptation that Jesus endures is the pride of life temptation. Satan fails these two. He, he, he ha- he's not having any luck. And then uh, Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. All right? Scholars say that it's, it could have been, you know, 100 feet maybe taller. That's a big jump. And Satan says, jump. You'll be, you'll be just fine because God is going to protect you. His angels are going to come in. They're going gra- to grab you, and your feet are not going to hit a stone. And Satan says, it says right here in his word. Satan. Quoting the Bible. You think, he knows, you think he knows the Word of God? He sure does. That's why we got to know it better. And he quotes from Psalm 91, 11, 12. Look at that. Look at it again in your Bible right there in, in Luke 4. And this is Satan saying, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so they will not strike your foot against the stone. Now, let's look at Psalm 91, 11, 12. What it actually, when you actually turn to Psalm 91, and see if he can spot the difference. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. Satan left out a couple words there in verse 11, didn't he there? You can kind of see them bolded a little bit in white. In all your ways. Now, does this change the meaning of the verse? It doesn't really change it a whole lot. But what it does is it shows that Satan misquoted here. He's using it in a deceptive way. And that's where we have to be careful. There are so many false teachers out there who will use Scripture to teach what is obviously false. But you won't know it unless you know the Word and know your beliefs. Again, if somebody is going to use Scripture to quote you something, then you better check behind them. And, that's, and, that's, and you can do that. God says to do that. You, can, you need to be able to check behind them. You check behind your teachers 
who are teaching the Word of God and make sure that what they're saying matches up with what God is saying. Because if not, you're going to be deceived. Satan is trying to get Jesus to take another shortcut. He's saying, look, if you jump off this temple, everybody's going to see you because everybody gathers around the temple of Jerusalem. He says, so many people are going to see you that you'll gain notoriety. They'll know that you are the Messiah. You are the one that came to rescue them, to rescue the world. They're going to know, and guess what? You don't even have to go to the cross to do that. You won't have to go to the cross. They won't be, you won't have to suffer. Take this shortcut, Jesus. And Jesus, no doubt, he would have gained notoriety, but that was not God's will, was it? Jesus needed to go to the cross. He, died, he, he needed to die for the world because that's what God had planned for him. Sometimes in our own life, we seek attention for what we do, and we care too much about what others think. This is the pride of life, to be known and wanting to be known. And uh, I shared this story at the end of the last gathering. I was in the middle of my message here. Well, actually, I was coming towards the end, and I had finished it up, and I read it a couple times, and then I, I sent it off to Rick so Rick could check on it, because, you know, I always have Rick check anything that I'm going to Right, that way you could get a different perspective and make sure that I'm not a false teacher. So uh, I sent it to Rick, and man, I, immediately I was like, I, I hate my message. I don't like it at all. And it was, re- it was really strange because the whole time I was, like, I was like, I feel really good about this, Lord. I, I have a habit of whenever I'm writing a message that I pray before, during, and after, just to make sure that I'm covering all my bases. I do not want to be teaching something that's not true. I hit send, it goes to Rick, and then all of a sudden I get this feeling of, I don't like it at all. And uh, I was like, man, what, what are people going to say if, if I say it this way? Or are they going to be bored out of their mind? Or uh, is, is this, I don't feel very comfortable with this message. You know what I was doing? I was falling into that pride of life temptation. And I just got done talking about it. I just got done typing it up. And God's like, whoa, 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 slow down. Do you remember what we just typed up here? You're, you're, you're caring too much of what, what people are going to say about you. You're caring too much about wanting to be known. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to back off. I prayed to God. I said, God, I'm sorry. I said, you got this figured out. Uh, you helped me with this message, and it's done. I'm going to let you do the rest. And I walked away, and I told my wife about it, you know, that I felt, I felt so terrible when I sent it. And, and uh, she's like, well, did you have my dad look at it? And I said, well, I sent it to him. I'm just waiting to hear back from him. So, uh, but any, anything, anyways, everything was good, and I just let it go, and, I, and I, I went to God, and I took care of it, which is what we need to do when we're, when we're tempted or we're, when we have a, a, some type of sin issue in our life. Get, deal with it right away. So, Satan is telling Jesus, test God in this. Isn't, isn't that what he's saying? He said, jump off the temple. Angels are going to come and rescue you. He's saying, test God in this. God said he would protect you no matter what. The only time we are told to test God is in Malachi 3.10. And it's talking about tr- uh, trusting God financially. You know, and that Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. Test me in this way. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, some people take this verse and can really twist it around. You tithe, you tithe, you give back to God 10% or whatever, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, and they automatically, well, the preacher said, whew, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be a millionaire. 
I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people in this room, including myself, that can stand up and say, I've been tithing since I became a Christian. I don't have a, 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 a mansion. I don't drive around in a fancy car. I mean, look, I mean, look at the clothes I'm wearing. It's, not, it's nothing special, you know? Uh, I think all of this, I, I believe these pants were $5. I'm pretty sure they were. I'm not going to tell you where I bought them either because you make fun of me. But, but I mean, I, I've been tithing, but you know what? God's never let me go hungry. I got a roof over my head. I got food in my belly. God takes care of my family. I know if something happened to me, God's going to take care of my wife and kids. I don't worry about that kind of stuff because I know that God is faithful. So we are not to test God in, in uh, the manners of what Satan is asking Jesus to do here. Uh, and again, Jesus answers Satan with another quote. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. Deuteronomy must be a pretty important book if Jesus quoted from it three times. Just want to throw that out there. He says, uh, you must not test the Lord your God. That was 6.16 in Deuteronomy. So the temptation of Jesus ends with verse 13. And it's important that we uh, look at how it ends. It says that after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed for, from him for a time. Now, the last three words say, for a time. Satan attacks Jesus all throughout his ministry again. This isn't the only time. He just didn't say, you know what, I tried three times, I'm done. Jesus, you got me. It doesn't happen that way. But you know what that says to us? It says that we're going to be tempted all of our life. While we're still alive, we're going to be tempted too. It's not going to stop, even through those victories that you have uh, and, and when you go through these trials and you get through them, doesn't mean that you're not going to go uh, through them again or, or that it, it's going to stop. What does, this, what does this all mean for us? How, did, how, did this, how does this affect us as Christians now? Because Satan wants to destroy your testimony, right? He's going to tempt you. Jesus gave us the example by knowing the Word of God, which I can't stress enough to memorize. And memorize, I mean, I'm not asking you to go to Genesis and read a Revelation and, read every, and memorize every verse. I can't do that. That's crazy. You know, maybe if I spent my life uh, in doing that, maybe I could. That's a big feat to do, though. Uh, but you know yourself better than I do. You know what you struggle with. Memorize verses that have to deal with a specific temptation. You know, do, do something like that. For me, and, you know, I didn't even mention this in the first gathering, but I'm going to say it in this one. For me, I, re- I really struggled with the lust of the flesh. Growing up, you know, as a, as, a, as a young boy, I looked at things that I wasn't supposed to, okay? And so that affected me the rest of my life as far as how I viewed women, as far as how I viewed marriage, as far as how I viewed sexuality. It ruined me. Um, and I prayed that God would take that away from me over and over and over again, and he has not. You know what answer he gave me? The same answer he gave Paul. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient enough. So just know that this is going to increase your faith because you're going to have to trust me more in this, and that's what I've had to do. So I had to memorize verses dealing with that type of temptation in my life. And praise God, because of his work in me, I've been victorious. But I'm also humble myself and not getting too prideful about it at the same time. So why did Jesus go through all this? Again, let's look at the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This explains everything as far as why Jesus went through this temptation, this testing. It says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. 
For only as a human being could, could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Verse 18, so important. Another good one to memorize. Since he himself, Jesus, has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That's an encouraging verse right there. You see, God loves you, loves me, loves the world so much that he allowed his son to go through this in the wilderness so that he could understand us. Again, Jesus, unable to sin, went through at least the feeling of what it was like to be tempted so that he can be before the Lord, before God, and intercede for us and say, I know what they're going through. I know what they're going through right now. I've suffered as they have. I've been tested like they have, Father. God wanted us to be able to relate in that way. And he did that. He allowed that struggle so that he can better help us, Jesus. And that's an awesome thing, to know that God is there with us every step of the way. And that he gave us this example on what we need to do in our lives. Let's pray. God, we are just glad that, uh, that you have this in your word, Lord, to encourage us, to show us uh, how we can deal with temptation in our life, to know that, uh, that the closer we get to you, God, the more we're probably going to be tested because you seek to uh, have us trust in you more, to follow after you more, to be more Christ-like. And you want to increase our faith in you, Lord. And sometimes we have to go through some of these things for that to happen. God, I pray for those that are in here that may be going through a trial right now, they're suffering through something, and they don't understand why they're going through it, God, that they would just learn to trust you at this moment through this story and know that you are in control. One of my favorite verses in your word, God, Isaiah 41, 13, says, For I, the Lord your God, will take your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, I will help you. God, you are there taking our right hand now through this time of suffering and helping us get through it. I pray for those that are in here that may not know who Jesus is. They don't know. They've never heard the gospel. Maybe they think that uh, they have to be good enough that they need to earn their salvation for a, a God that is too perfect for us to even live a perfect life because he demands perfection. But Jesus did that for us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Jesus took our sin away on the cross. He resurrected three days later, proving who he was, proving that you accepted his sacrifice. So I pray for those in here who have never heard the gospel and they're saying, I believe that now. I believe in Jesus as my Savior, that he took my sin away on the cross. We praise you for that, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.